On today's success story, overcoming chronic plantar fasciitis with David. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Similar to Alyssa's story, I have had a another client of mine, um, David, who's had plantar fasciitis, I think it was August 2020, and yeah, has a, a crazy ride to tell and has learned a lot of lessons uh, working with me and prior to working with me. And I say this with most success stories, but even other conditions, you can, even if you don't have plantar fasciitis, but you are struggling to overcome any injury yourself, these principles, these lessons do carry over to other um, conditions as well. So hopefully you enjoy the story as well as learn along the way. And let's bring on David. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I've always, always enjoy listening to some success stories. I think it helps generate a lot of positivity to a lot of runners out there, particularly with plantar fasciitis, because this is a particular condition as you've experienced, which can can be quite chronic and quite debilitating and extremely stubborn. But before we dive into that, um, can you just give us a, a brief introduction, how you got involved into the world of running? Sure. Uh, so I started running when I was in high school. My senior year of high school I was around 17, ran cross country. And I enjoyed it. And then I went off to college and I played a bunch of club sports, mainly ultimate frisbee. Uh, I did some running on the side, but it really wasn't until I graduated from undergrad and moved to Southern California for graduate school when I got into running um, on a regular basis. So a friend of mine was doing a half marathon. Uh, Sounded interesting. I did a little practice and went out and uh, ended up running it with him. And uh, after that, it was just kind of started doing lots of races, living in Southern California with the weather made it easy. So since then, I'd moved up to marathons and I'd run a bunch of marathons and 10Ks and 5Ks and turkey trots and so on and so forth. And um, so it's, it's, it's been part of my life uh, for the past 20 plus years, um, not all the time because I, I tend to have different interests, but there's always a constant that I kept coming back to was running and it was a great way for me to stay competitive. Uh, and I just enjoyed the break from work and 
life and get out and um, kind of turn off and, and go run. So nice. And I've I've learned a new term now, which is turkey trot. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I think that's like a U.S. thing. It <laughs> is, yeah. For Thanksgiving, you you go run in the morning and then you go home and you have uh, turkey for lunch. So okay, sounds good. <laughs> and had you had any? Um, significant injuries in that time prior to this plantar fasciitis um, playing up any other injuries that might have sidelined you um some i had some issues with my other foot uh, a couple years ago when i was training for a marathon um and i think that was just an overuse ramping up too quickly so i, I backed off for a little while and uh went away but uh, this has really been the the longest period where I haven't been able to run um, and it's impacted other areas of my life as well. So it was kind of uh, a bummer for a long time, I'll say. Yeah. So how long ago was it uh, when these symptoms first arose and you said that your other injury was due to an increase in mileage or doing too much too soon? Was this much the same? Um, well, b- before... When I started the marathon, I joined a marathon training program um, where I live, and they wanted you to be running 15 to 20 miles a week. So I was running about that. I probably didn't have big enough of a base, and it wasn't until it was about 12 weeks in or so that it it bothered me, and I I backed off somewhat, and the symptoms uh, abated. This one was a little bit more insidious. Uh, It was about um, August of... 2019 i'll say excuse me 2020 um when it uh it it arose so i had had a period of time where i was focused more on strength training than i had been on a a lot of distance running because i got burnt i trained for 50k and i got burnt out afterwards i needed a break and uh with the pandemic i decided i needed to get back outside and um Every time I take a break and I get back into running, I realize how much I missed it. So I tried to be smart about it and work through a plan to, you know, that wasn't like me just going out and trying to run 20 miles a week straight off the bat. And so I, I paid for a program that was developed that had a progressive overload. So it was starting off with short distances that could handle and built up. And every three to four weeks, there was a step back and um, there was no it was all just volume based. There's no intervals or hills or anything like that in it. Um, and I ran, I, I took 16 weeks and trained, did a 10 K, um, was my goal. I d- ran that by myself in the middle of the summer and I, I felt good. Then after that one, I moved to a different program. So that first program was twice a week. And one of the, and then the third day of the week, there was a significant amount of cross training. So it was up to 45 minutes to an hour of some sort of cross training activity. And I moved to a three-day-a-week program uh, with a little bit more volume. That was a follow-on. And it was around that time that, looking back, I started to notice some of the symptoms, but I just ignored them. And then we went on vacation. Uh, so I had more free time, so I did some more running. And then the place we go to, I was playing tennis. So I was playing tennis with my kids in the summer, my, my brother. Um, and so the running... And the tennis, I started to notice it a little bit more. Uh, and then when I came back home after vacation, that's when I really noticed it. So I'd go for runs. My foot would hurt during the run. My foot would hurt after the run. And then after a while, it would all go away. So it didn't, 
it took me a while to kind of put the obvious two and two together to say, hey, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and it's hurting. And so after about middle of September or so, uh, beginning of October, I said, you know what, I got to stop running because there's a correlation between me running and getting hurt or noticing the pain. And so I went through a period of about 10, 12 weeks where I didn't do any running at all, period. And I tried everything under the sun to try and get the pain to go away, um, thinking that no load was going to help and that there's going to be some miracle cure that was going to make it one day I'd wake up and it wouldn't hurt. Mm. Uh, I'm curious because I do understand like plantar fasciitis is like a condition that kind of spreads outside of running and into everyday life. Um, when you went on vacation, would that have consisted of, you, you said you still kept up running and you were playing tennis, but was there also extended periods of time of like barefoot walking or like in flip-flops or type of footwear that isn't, is a bit less supportive that was a, a bit more than what you would normally do in everyday life when not on vacation? Yeah, I probably spent more time barefoot. I really don't like, I don't find flip-flops comfortable, so I don't typically don't wear them. Um, so a lot of it was just being barefoot and walking around. Um, I tend to do that at home a bunch, but I'm definitely more on vacation because it's in the summertime. Uh, mm. But I, I, I can't remember, you know, talk maybe talk about this at some point, but, you know, the, the notes that I ended up taking later on uh, were helpful. And so I, it's sometimes it's hard to think back to say what was – was there a correlation between not wearing shoes and, and an increase in the pain? Um, but I distinctly remember one night I had, I'd gone for a run one day and the next day I went and I was playing tennis and it really was just painful to the point where I was trying to not run as much pl while playing because when I ran, it was definitely painful um, while running across the court. Yeah. Talk to a little bit more about the symptoms. Like, was it a bit more, was it localized? Was it spread around around the arch of the foot? Like exactly where was the, the symptoms? Yeah. Uh, so so it, it started, it's, it's always kind of been centered on the heel. It's moved around a little bit. So it moved from like the inside of the heel to the outside of the heel, moved up a little bit towards the arch and then came back. And so it, 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 I struggled for a while because I was like, do I really have plantar fasciitis? And I was trying to figure out like, by figuring that pain um but some days it would be kind of you know the arch and the heel and other days it would be the heel and then i'd have to just sit down and you know let my body kind of rest um because i definitely kind of put it through the paces i think um in an attempt to kind of think oh we'll just go away it's some sort of nagging thing that's you know not that big and uh as i've gotten older i've realized that i have to pay attention to those more so than I did when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. And as people have listened to, or probably listened to the plantar fasciitis episodes I've done in the past, they'd know that one of the classic, not always, but in most cases, there's a presentation of pain, elevated levels of pain during your first steps in the morning. And initially, like early on in the development of this pathology, were you experiencing those particular symptoms? I was. And so that's the thing that was super, in, uh, I'll say, insidious about this is the fact that, you know, early on there was periods where I'd get up and I'd be like, it would hurt in the morning or I would do something and it would hurt. 
and then I would stop doing those things or I'd start walking around more and then the pain would go away and then I wouldn't think about it. And I think if it had been something that was all 24 hours a day all the time, that I would kind of would have focused on it more. But I think I let it get so bad because there was times when it didn't hurt and there's times when it did. And it was like, well, if it's not hurting these other times, I really must have not done something. Like if you have a, I guess if you sprained or you break something or, you know, there's something more catastrophic. So uh, to me, that was the thing that was, I really struggled with. And, and looking back, I probably would, you know, be way more proactive and being like starting to notice what the symptoms are and trying to figure out what I got to do in order to uh, make sure it doesn't get too bad. Because I think that was the issue is just, I tried to ignore it. And that didn't really work. <laughs> and then it got so bad that it's <laughs> taken, you know, uh, 15 something. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow months to get to a point where it's um I, I feel like I see the light at the end of the tunnel so yeah there's I always talk about the plantar fasciitis being as like yes first steps in the morning is a, a common characteristic but also not in all cases but it, it can be a condition that just really slowly creeps up on you and I think um what you're illustrating there is a uh, highlights that perfectly because if you notice symptoms for the first, say, two minutes of the morning and then it warms up and goes away, you don't think about it for the rest of the day and you can overload things and there's that reminder again the next morning. But it's only for a minute or so and I have a lot of runners that come to me with plantar fasciitis and they say it's like, I feel like I'm only just getting to grips of it now, but I feel like I've had it for two months. Like that it, it slowly creeps on the, up on them. And then they're like, when was the last time I hadn't woken up with morning stiffness? It's really hard for them to look back that far. And it, it becomes like a, it's in this gray area of, of not a concern. And then they just continue on with everyday life. And then all of a sudden they're like, I can't remember when I haven't had this. And it, like I say, it can creep up on you and like to stick with you for a very long time. And you mentioned, okay, you've, you recognize the correlation between running and then increase in symptoms. And so you decided running's bad. You stopped running and you tried what seems like a lot of treatments, um, after, you know, doing some Googling, can you maybe list off a few treatments that, that you tried and maybe what was effective at the time? Yeah. Uh, so I feel like once you say you have plantar fasciitis, everybody you know comes out of the woodwork and says, oh, you got to try this thing. This worked <laughs> for me. This solved my problems. And so, I, like I said, I tried everything. Uh, so first thing I, I tried was a Strasburg sock, one of those socks that has the uh, fabric attached to the toes. Uh, I find it super uncomfortable to wear, but I was like trying to force my way through it, and I had super crappy nights of sleep while wearing it, so I stopped wearing that. And then I had this one that was kind of... Uh, it was similar to the sock, but it was made out of hard plastic, so it would hold your foot at an angle. Uh, that didn't work. I tried foam rolling it, 
uh, I tried a different type of foam roller called a rumble roller that had this like um, not a rumble roller, excuse me. It was this um, this pattern on the top that was supposed to help massage the fascia. I used a lacrosse ball, a tennis ball, and a golf ball at different times to try and roll the arch. Um, I tried stretching. So I would kneel on the floor and have my toes tucked underneath me to try to stretch it out. I tried calf massage from a machine or from a friend who was um, a massage therapist. Went to acupuncturist to try and like thinking that somehow my calves were causing a problem. I tried gua sha or scraping. Um, I uh, then at that stage that, that that took me over a couple months and things really weren't getting better and I was kind of getting dismayed and I at one point was worried that it was just going to be this way forever. Um, and then I started over the next couple of months, I started doing some, some more digging and I ended up started wearing some inserts in my shoes. So one was from a company called heal the pain. The other was these Thule's heel cups that I'd read about from a paper. So I started wearing those and those started to help. And I think it was, there was, um, so much irritation going on that it was just extending throughout the day. So the heel cups tended to help kind of allow me to walk around and do my job without necessarily aggravating it. Um, and then I tried to seek professional help. So I found a friend who was a physical therapist. And so she had me working on some balance exercises and hamstring isolation, thinking about an imbalance in my body. And as part of that, there was these exercises where I put my foot on the floor and much like you try to scrunch a towel, I would like have my toes and I would pull them forward on the floor. And I noticed an improvement there. So I would do these hamstring exercises and some toe yoga type stuff. And then I would notice the next day that it got better. And so then I started to, I'm a scientist by training. So I, I started to try and say, okay, I really got to figure out what's working here. And that's where I got to this point where I noticed the strengthening pieces helping. And then I did a little bit of taping, and I found this paper by Michael Rathliff. Um, so I, I Googled windless mechanism, which I forget how I heard about it. And that took me down a bunch of uh, physiotherapists who, who are focused on science and talk about stuff that's in the literature. And so I read this paper um, by Rathliff all about high-load strength training, which had people wearing heel cups and then people doing weight lifting. Um, and... Uh, and then from there, I did some some more work, and then I found you and your podcast. Um, and by that point, I think I had realized that hey, I got to strengthen stuff. So there was initial period was trying to focus on the stretching and the rolling pieces, um, which I think helped a little bit. And then I had a period where I was trying to focus on isolation with like the heel cups and things. And then after that, there was a piece where I realized hey, there's a correlation between me doing some strengthening exercises with the toes and the pulling um that seems to make my uh it feel better so hmm. i like the this little story but i hope all the the run smarter scholars out there are listening to this story and it's like making a whole lot of sense because as you're explaining this you're looking at um like the stretches and massages uh because we know like most injuries is like a capacity issue. Like it's getting weaker and symptoms are aggravated. If you exceed its capacity, if you exceed its current load, it starts to become irritated. So the initial um, treatments you sort of focused on 
um, trying to alleviate the pain. So you're looking at the casting or the socks, the foam rolling, the the tennis balls, the lacrosse, the golf balls, um, stretching, massage, acupuncture, all those sort of things are just to help reduce symptoms. They're, they're there to try and settle down irritation or make you feel better, but is mainly in the short term, which is, I, I guess, what you described when you were talking about um, helped a little bit, meaning like it probably helped in the moment, but then back to back to normal symptoms after a couple of days. But the next step you looked at was inserts and you noticed in the heel cups and noticed that there was an improvement there, which if we're talking about load capacity, um, what you are doing with those, well, in most cases with orthotics is you're decreasing the load or decreasing the demand of the fascia. So symptoms would help beyond that short term, but still is doing nothing for the capacity, still doing nothing to increase the strength or build up the resilience, but symptoms can improve because you, the demand isn't there or you're reducing that demand. But I, I like how you, you've got this um, scientific background and can sort of piece so the pieces of the puzzle together. Cause I always like to say with people who are injured, then you need to take on your own little experiments and see how symptoms behave. And this is exa- exactly what you've done. You've isolated. Okay. Actually strengthening is helping. Let me try and implement something a little bit more of that. And so doing more of what works. And if we refer back to like a load capacity demand um, equation, once again, those strength exercises help build up the demand, help build up the capacity, and therefore you see improvements. And those improvements would be a little bit more long-term compared to the massage balls and the the acupuncture and all those sort of things, which are just the immediate short-term sort of effects. Um, so I really like you've had those revelations. You've seemed to try everything and have come to the conclusion about what's what's working, what's working long-term, what's working short-term and sort of building out your own management. It's, um, it's a really nice approach. It, it probably took you a couple of months to get there, but at least the um, the revelation was there at the end. I, I started working with you in August. Um, so it was almost a year. And, and I felt like I was wandering in the forest of, you know, Google treatments for, for a really long time. Um, so in retrospect, maybe it sounds like I had some sort of plan, but it was it was frustrating because I wasn't systematic about anything. So if, if I were to go back and, and go through this experience all over again, uh, I probably would have tried to make myself a little bit more rigorous on keeping track of what I was trying and seeing what it was. as just relying on my memory. And, and that's another thing that's hard mm. with this, right? So we talked about, you know, it's you wake up in the morning and it hurts. So I could do something the day before, but then I got to wait till the very next day to be like, okay, you know, did that work or did it not work? Um, and, and, and I think if I had been smarter earlier on, I would have taken more notes. But um, so anyways. Yeah, uh, that was a question I was going to ask. Like looking back, was there any mistakes that you think you made that may have prolonged the injury? And I guess that's one that you've sort of realized maybe if you're a little bit more systematic with your treatment approaches and maybe if you documented symptoms to kind of accurately interpret what's going on, then that would um, would have helped moving forward. Would, would there be any other mistakes that you you may have made 
back in those early days, which you see now looking back on it as a um, sort of contributing to a prolonged recovery? Yeah. Um, so I think I tried to, I over celebrated the small wins. So something would get better and I would feel like I was moving in the right direction or I would ramp up volume too quickly. Um, and I would, I would go from running say three rounds of, of one minute of running and three minutes of walking to two minutes of running and two minutes of walking, then three minutes of running and one minute of walking all in the span of like a week. Um, and, and then I would be, you know, hurt again, or, uh, I kept trying to be competitive because as much as I, I my body needed to back off, increase what I could handle, you know, my mind wanted to go and go run a, you know, race a 10 K or, go do something rather than do the work that I needed to do. And so I trained for a triathlon thinking that the swimming and the biking would allow me to not have to, to allow me to exercise without running and putting pain on, on the fascia. And, uh, that was a 10 K run as part of the race. And, you know, again, I was like in, I was doing the run the day I didn't run as much, tried to focus on other modalities like the swimming and the biking and things the day of the race, it was hurting. And that was about a couple weeks before I, I reached out to you. And it, so it was, a uh, what I really should have done is just said, I got this long view of where I want to go, you know, in the future, I want to keep running. I want to go hiking. I want to, you know, be able to do all these active things. So I should give up something now in the short term. It might be six months, and that may seem like a really long time to me now. But the faster I get through it, the more I can get back to doing the stuff that I enjoy doing. And so it's that being patient, I think, was, you know, uh, the thing that I've learned since uh, working with you. I canceled. Mm -hmm. There's two things I was going to do, and I kept thinking in my mind, oh, I'll walk or I'll, I'll, I'll run walk those and all of them were much further than my body was ready for and so uh you know I, in reality i should have I've gotten them off the calendar and after talking to you it was like okay it's clear but without that i was like yeah i could do those and i really just would have repeated that that cycle of getting better and then overdoing it and then having a setback and getting a little bit better and overdoing it and having a setback yeah uh, i constantly work with runners who do have something in the future or like maybe a marathon has been deferred to the next year or they're trying to overcome their injury and they say, Brody, like whether I make it or not, um, I'm not sure, but I have a marathon in say five months time. And do you think there's a, do you think there's a chance that we can get there? And depending on the injury, depending on the severity, I like to just tell people just detach yourself from the heat of the moment and don't have that marathon reference point in your mind because as soon as you start seeing initial successes, as soon as you have three good weeks, you're initially going to think, okay, there's that marathon. I'm running, you know, five Ks at the moment. I've, if I can run 10 Ks by in four weeks time, then I'm probably back on track and you sort of piggyback onto what's in front of you that, that race and then that's going to increase the likelihood of you hitting your foot on the accelerator too hard and um you know flaring things up and so in most cases it's really tough to detach from that but like you say get it off the calendar and 
base it on symptoms, base it on, okay, I'm not sure where I'm going to be in four weeks. Let's see how my symptoms respond with a gradual approach. And where I'm at in four weeks is where I'm at in four weeks. We're not attached to anything. We don't have any ties to expectations of where you need to be in four months time and yeah, moving forward. So it's interesting. Well, it's good that you have the sensibility and patience to erase those and detach away from the heat of the moment. And yeah, it, it reduces the likelihood of that, that flare up and sort of piggybacking onto those reference points in the future and then increase the likelihood of things flaring up again. Yeah. I, it really did. I, I needed to have somebody who wasn't me uh, or my wife <laughs> telling, telling me, telling me that because it was too easy for me to say, yeah, I could do it or come up with excuses. And like you said, I, I keep kind of been this big cycle, but I, I think I had this huge aha moment. Um, as I, as I discovered your podcast and you talked about this concept and I forget where I heard it. Um, but the idea of to have a, a, a response, you know, there's a certain amount of load you have to apply above which you're going to have, you'll have a response. So, you know, you work, you do work below that line. There's, you're not going to get any better. You go above that line, you'll improve, but there's an upper bound that if you go above that, you're going to hurt yourself. And so the problem I had was that I think my body's ability to do cardio or to do something was above that line that my body, so sorry, my, my aerobic, my, my lungs and my, my mental capacity was above the line, but my body wasn't. So my, my foot wasn't. And I kept trying to go to a place where I said, oh, yeah, I could run five miles. It's, it's not, that, not that big of a deal. Right, but my body was no, but everything else said yes. And so I kept listening to that side of it. And so when you talked about this idea that when you get injured, that line where you go above and you hurt yourself gets closer and closer to that minimum stimulus line, that was this wake-up moment to be like, okay, my body's there. My mental ability and my aerobic capacity is somewhere else. So what I got to focus on is getting my body slowly building it back up to move that line bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So then I can get my body back to the place where my, my brain and my, you know, aerobic capacity is. Um, and, and then I'll be able to go and run the five miles, not today. And whenever that is, I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later, but you know, it's a matter of how long it takes to get there. Yeah. That's a very interesting point. A really nice insight. And when we talk about like the adaptation zone, when you're not injured and when you're just training for a marathon, that adaptation zone represents the entire body. Like it, it, it doesn't matter like what your capacity of your right Achilles is compared to your left Achilles or your left Achilles compared to your right knee. Like it all just represents the entire body. And our goal is to make sure that we train within that adaptation zone as much as we can. But when faced with an injury, because you're in that irritated state, in this case, the plantar fascia, that adaptation zone, those charts that we follow is now can be representative of just purely the plantar fascia. And like you say, there can be a discrepancy from that plantar fascia and the rest of the body and the rest of the mind. And um, the goal is to kind of build it up to pre-injury um, loading, but then also try and exceed that and trying to build up as much resilience as you can with the the local tissues of the fascia and the foot in order to try and play catch up. But yeah, I guess if, like you say, if the rest of your body and your mind and your cardiovascular system are super strong, 
it's going to increase the likelihood of you being like, this next run is no big deal. Like I re- rarely pushing myself, but in fact, for the, the plantar fascia adaptation zone, you're probably exceeding it. So if there is that large discrepancy, then there's probably a likelihood of you overdoing things. I was mountain biking a bunch and uh, I could mountain bike for, you know, hours and it wouldn't hurt anywhere near as much as I could running. So I knew it. So like that was the part of the thing that gave me this false confidence that kept leading me to a point where I'd hurt myself. So uh, it, it took mm. that hard look and having somebody else be like, is this really what you should be doing? And then realizing, Hey, maybe that isn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. Were there any other revelations or changes or implementing something in your management plan when we started working together, which you found really effective? So when we started working together, my thought process was that the goal was to get rid of all pain, right? So we talked about how's my pain on a scale of one to 10. And then I thought that the goal was get the pain to a level of zero and then get better. And then you had this conversation about saying, Hey, let's think about success in different ways And one of those ways could be is that the level of discomfort or pain that you're feeling can stay the same, but the, your load can increase. So if your pain staying the same, but your load is increased, then that's, that's one way of thinking about success. Then over time, as your body strengthens, you know, that pain will go away. And that's what I've, I've noticed. I remember we had a conversation in August and we talked about it. And the time I was probably running a total of three minutes or something uh, or four minutes. And, uh, sure enough, over the next couple months, you know, I, I, I would slowly increase and I got to a point where I'm, you know, running up to 30 minutes at a time. And my foot doesn't hurt while I was running, didn't hurt while I was after it was running. And my, my pain symptoms in the morning have slowly gotten better. So it was that just that disconnect of saying, Hey, the goal isn't get to zero pain or discomfort, but rather make sure that, it's not increasing because if it stays the same or gets less, then that's just as good. Yeah. And those baseline symptoms should be below a certain number. So making sure they're staying, I think we had like a two or a three is um, acceptable, which is a really nice point because if the aim, if we had the aim for it to be zero, then your progressions would be super slow. Like if you woke up and said, okay, let's run for, 20 seconds and then you woke up the next morning that's zero and then say okay let's try 45 seconds and then it was a one and then you'd say okay maybe we keep below a 45 seconds and if you space that out over you know a series of a couple of months then maybe you've probably reached five minutes of running and pain levels are zero but we know we know with the body that low levels of pain for most injuries are acceptable. They're acceptable levels of pain. And so if you have the idea to say, let's try and keep your baseline symptoms around a one, two, three out of 10 and make sure they stay that way. And if we build up your capacity tenfold over the period of a couple of months and your baseline symptoms stay exactly the same, that is a sign to show that your tissues and your capacity Um, you're accepting those loads. It's not, um, you're tolerating those loads at an acceptable level and you can accelerate your rehab process a lot quicker. And like you say, in the space of, you know, a couple of months or so going all the way up to 30 minutes of running and baseline symptoms staying the the same. So 
very good point for, for a lot of runners to realize. And there are exceptions to the rule. I do like certain conditions to be a little bit lower than a, a three out of 10 and stress fractures should be pain-free. But um, for most cases, that's a really nice lesson to learn. You know, it, 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 and I think the, the final thing that I, I think my takeaway is, is, is like, do the work. Like you get a plan. And I know that when I started looking at it, sit there and say the amount of time it's going to take to slowly go from three minutes of total running to 45 minutes of total running is just going to take forever and again that part of me wanted just to be able to go back and 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 go run that run a 10k and had to sit back and say listen uh you got to do the work and focus in this period right now on just getting healthy and that there'll be the time to run your 10k half marathon or whatever you know in the future uh, and, and so that, again, that mental shift and, and focused on, on paying attention to my body and, and how my foot felt in the morning and how my foot felt when I was running and how my foot felt afterwards and, and starting to put all the pieces together. And then I started to notice all the improvements and then it started to get, you know, more and more motivated and to kind of get excited about, you know, hey, I get to go for a run because I can go see you know, how my body feels um, has been really helpful. Yeah. And. I guess it's a good point to talk about now. So what what capacity have you built up to and what are symptoms like currently? So I worked my way up to uh, the last run was uh, two twice at of 20 minutes with a one-minute uh, walk in between. So I'd walk for about five minutes or so, uh, run for 20 minutes, walk for one, run for 20 minutes, walk for one. And that... Uh, you know, I, I talked about the note taking. It's gotten a little annoying at times because I felt like every single day I was putting the same thing in. But for the most part, my pain's been around a one and a half to a one, maybe to a little bit of a two. Um, I had one day where it shot up to like a four. Um, and then after that, uh, the next day afterwards, it was back to a, a, a somewhere between a one and a two. So I was able to do that. I, that was about... 40, you know, I was out running for about 50 minutes. And then um, on Thanksgiving in, in the end of January and uh, November here in the United States, I did a four mile, about six and a half kilometer uh, run with my father. And uh, so that was every mile I walked for a minute. And that was about 10 to 11 minutes of running each of those. And so that was the same volume, 40 minutes ish. Um, and, you know, go home. My foot doesn't bother me. I don't think about it. I'd wake up the next morning and I'd notice, oh, you know, it's, it's around, you know, one to one and a half. And I go about my day. And, and so that, that ability to feel normal um, has been great. So it's not, I'm not zero, um, but definitely I feel like, hey, I can, I'm getting close. Yeah. And capacity wise, like stability of the injury wise, it's, it's really hard. You'd probably notice yourself. It's really hard to get from say, two minutes of running to 10 minutes of running. That is a, a big gap. Um, but once the injury itself builds up strength, builds up capacity and overall like stabilizes, getting from say two miles to five miles is a lot easier. The The symptoms themselves, like um, because there is a bit more resilience there, if you were to flare things up, it's flared up for only 24 hours and returns back to baseline symptoms and the ability to 
push and do an extra 10 minutes of running isn't is not as much of a big deal as it was in those initial stages and so like the increments of um progression widen as your confidence grows as the capacity grows as the strength starts to to regain and so I think having a flare up and having like a four out of 10 pain, but then knowing or discovering that it returns back to baseline symptoms the next day is extremely encouraging and would help boost up your confidence levels as well. And um, overall just help the the healing of the, the injury. Would you agree? Uh, I would. Yeah. It's been, it's been huge. And, and I just, I was just thinking uh, the thing, the thing I forgot to mention is that, while I was running, I also you also had me working on strength, uh, strengthening my foot. So I mentioned that the the toe exercises and the pulling seem to have a favorable response. So I've been doing uh, calf raises, weighted calf raises, single leg with my toes on a towel, so they're they're elevated somewhat. Um, and about three sets of twelve, and I started at. 16 kilos and I've worked my way up to 20 kilos and then I've been balancing on a wobble board and then um, on each foot and then toe touches toe to heel on the wobble board um, and I've also noticed improvements there so in the in the calf raises for a long time I wasn't increasing the load and then we had with this conversation about hey we got to again think about the same thing of I'm running more and then I listen to see how my body responds so I, I increased the weight and did more reps or sorry, I did a little less reps and I slowly increased those and I could increase the weight. And then with the wobble board, I've noticed that I've been able to hold my balance longer without reaching for a wall or something else to hang on to than I was, you know, weeks ago. And so I think that obviously you can go back and separate the two, but I definitely think that those two things together um, helped because especially in the beginning when I wanted to probably get out and move more, the ability to do strength helped me feel like, hey, I'm moving towards, I'm doing something that's helping, um, it, even if it isn't running. Um, and then I can see the progress in both sides. Yeah. And I think like with any injury, plantar fasciitis specifically, the <laughs> there's three areas, three domains that I like to focus on. One is the running, just making sure your running load is sensible and progressive Two, making sure the strength is tolerable, but also progressive. And three is just like the daily load, the daily accumulation of load through the plantar fascia. So if you can't tolerate um, extended periods of bare feet or minimal footwear, then providing some support, but then weaning off that as symptoms allow. So it's just like the, the daily load, the lifestyle, the running and the strength, those three domains and trying to adjust the load and um, massage the numbers around, massage the dosages around to see where, um, how symptoms behave and being progressive with all those areas. Just extremely key because not only can, well, we've kind of alluded to at the start, not only can plantar fasciitis start to affect running, but then it carries over into everyday life and then standing for long periods of time can be frustrating or um, any sort of barefoot walking can then spark symptoms. And so, very important that daily loading, daily modifications are in there as well. Any other final takeaways or lessons um, to share with runners who may be experiencing plantar fasciitis or similar type of symptoms? No, um, just the fact that 
if you feel like you that there's that it's it's not going to go away or that you that um you're stuck with this is that there's definitely um a way out uh i remember i listened to one of these very stories from a woman who i think she was, was three to four years maybe um and i think she had changed her shoes uh and in a couple other changes and, and noticed an improvement um and so to me when i listened to that kind of was like wow i wonder when i'm gonna have that that revelation because at the time i couldn't see myself getting better you know as i said I, I was thinking about oh this is something i'm just gonna have to deal with and um that there's there is a way it's a matter of figuring out what you need to do and being methodical and doing the work and being patient um and then once you're you're better then you can get back to doing the stuff you love yeah and there's going to be a lot of runners who listen to these episodes who are trying to negotiate an injury at the moment they're thinking the exact same thing like is this something that i'm going to have to live with is it something that's just going to persist but hearing your story and seeing that you were also in that mindset but then also managed to um try some different things and see the benefits of it and then progress to the point of where you're up to right now um it's good to see that these sort of things can turn around even when it does seem impossible in the moment so um like with all these success stories, I want to thank you for coming on sharing the story because it's going to do a world of good to a lot of runners out there. All right. Well, thanks for having me. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.